I'm excited to speak about First Peter tonight. I, I'm speaking about hope. That's why that last song was there. It's, it's hope in Christ and hope in salvation. And the passage that I chose is First Peter 1, 3 through 5. Go ahead and turn there if you guys have a Bible. But before, we, before I jump into this passage, I just want to give you some background on what First Peter is talking about. First Peter is written to a lot of different people groups, and they're all in different parts of the world, mainly like Asia Minor. But it's written to more than one group of people. So we can kind of look at this book when we, when we open it and see that he's going to give generalities and general principles to people's lives. And that's where he's coming from. And then the, the idea is he wants, in the beginning, he's building them up because these people are experiencing suffering. And he wants to give them hope and he wants to give them joy in Christ. One of the verses that just helps me understand where he's coming from is at the end, in um, 5.12, he says, By Slovenius a faithful brother, I, as I regarded him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And he, that's what he's, he's opening his letter with. This is the grace of God. This is all that he's giving us. Stand firm in it because you are experiencing suffering. All right, so let's flip back over to the beginning um, in chapter 1, verse 3 through 5 is where we're going to be tonight. And a little bit of six, just because I like the beginning of it. Um, It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Or in this you find great joy. So when I look at this passage, I just see that he wants us to find hope in Christ. And first he lays out that what has he done and what will he do and what is he doing now? So we have these three ideas that are going to be moving through it. But he he wants us to anticipate salvation and he wants us to see what's coming. And for me, that makes me think of the holiday that's coming up, which is Christmas. And for many of us, I, I don't, I'm not a Scrooge for Christmas, but I think you can start listening to Christmas music too early. And I, by that, I mean like the day after Halloween. And some of you guys have done that. Some of you guys have gotten in your cars and you've taken your, your favorite Christmas album and you've put it in to the CD player and it's still been there like all month and you're still loving it and you're still enjoying it. But if I did that, I would make it to Christmas Eve and I'd be sitting there at church and I'd just be like, I really want to enjoy this music right now, but I've just heard it so many times. But the reason I bring that up is because the people that do enjoy it, it's because they're anticipating what Christmas is. Every year, it's pretty much the same. We go see our families. We celebrate Jesus' birth. We get to eat food. We get four weeks off of school. um, And we get to lay on the couch, and we get to get up in January and go back to class. And... We're, we're looking forward to that every single year. And that's like our anticipation. And we know it's going to come. And that's, that's what Peter's doing here. He's saying, look to your salvation in the future. Look to your inheritance that is promised to you. Look to the salvation that, that God wants us, wants us to have. Uh, so that's what he's opening up with here. He, he wants us to realize that this life is short, but eternity is forever. And so we have to have an anticipation, and that, that hope in that future is going to carry us through this life and give us joy. So as he begins in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I just wanted to zoom back a little bit and look at just that word, or zoom in maybe, and look at that word blessed. He, 
right there, I, I just started taking a Greek class, so I get excited about Greek. Um, and the word for blessed is eulagatas. That's what it is. Eulagatas, I have written down. Um, and the meaning of that word is good words. Um, and this is one of the few places that it's used in the Bible, but we derive the word eulogy from eulagatas. And so he's giving the good words about Jesus. And usually we have eulogies at the end of someone's life and we, we celebrate who they are and we say good words about them. So that's, that's what Peter's doing here. He's saying, blessed be God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's praising him. He's bringing that out. He's saying, I'm going to give you the reasons that you should praise, praise Christ. So get ready for it because it's coming. And then he says, according to his great mercy. And I think that's another one of those words we just need to stop and pause on because the mercy of Christ is something that he doesn't have to give us to us. It's through his love. Like we were singing in the songs earlier, just he's bringing his love to us. He's bringing us mercy. And the meaning of mercy is that we're not going to receive something that we deserve. And the thing that we do deserve is hell um, because of sins in our life. We're not perfect like God. We are going to be separated from him there's this, this chasm between us and him that must be fixed because God is perfect and we are not. And we have, to, we have to see that and we have to know that he's coming to us in mercy. He's coming to us. It's a gift from him. It's not, it's not something that we're doing. It's according to his mercy. And that's why he, he puts that there as the very first thing. He just says it's according to his mercy because he wants to set that up as the foundation of all the joy that we have. It's not, it's not from us, but it's from him. And he says, it's according to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So he says, we've been born again. And um, I don't know, I just like to just stop and think about all these like little figures of speech that we get to see. And here he's talking about being born again. And a lot of times we're just going to look at that word and we're going to say, okay, so I'm born again, I am saved. And that's all we're going to think about it. We're just going to say, okay, so that's salvation, that's justification, um, that's that's the beginning of the relationship with God. But I think it's neat to look at it a little bit deeper. Peter was a disciple of Jesus, and Jesus explained this to a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. So I'm going to flip over there real fast. Jesus was explaining, explaining this to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was a leader of the Jews. And this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he's coming to Jesus because he sees him doing signs and miracles, and he wants to know who is this man. He must be of God because of the signs that he's doing, and I want to understand him. So he comes to Jesus, and he's like, who are you? Tell me about yourself. You must be with God. How does this all make sense? And then Jesus answers him and says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, he says, see the kingdom of God. We have born again. That's the part that Nicodemus just gets really confused about and doesn't get. And he says, see the kingdom of God. That might be confusing for some of you guys, but all he's saying there is he's saying he sees the end. He understands what God is doing. He, he sees what God is bringing us. It's the kingdom of God. We can be part of it. And he's saying, you're not going to understand it until you're born again. So he's, he's explaining this to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus just turns around and says, how can a man be born when he is old? Like, can he just crawl back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Does that make sense to you, Jesus? Is that something that I should, I should believe? Like, what are, what are you trying to tell me here? So I don't think Nicodemus is necessarily being sarcastic to Jesus, but he just doesn't get it. So then Jesus turns around and he explains it again, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
So he's saying you can't partake of it, but he doesn't leave us there. Like, I think that's still confusing to many of us. He's saying born of water and spirit. And I think that's a whole nother sermon that I'm not even going to try to get into. But it's what he says afterwards that makes sense of the born again. And he says, what is born of flesh is flesh. And what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I've said you must be born again. So he's saying, like, don't focus on that. It's that you've been born of the spirit. Like we've, and he talks about these two births the flesh and the spirit. So we've all been born of the flesh because we're all here. We all have fleshly bodies. We all experience the pain of the fleshly body sometimes. So we know what being born of the flesh is. But he also says being born of the spirit. And he's bringing out that, I think the beginning of being born of the spirit, that what he's saying there is that's the beginning of, of your life as a Christian, being born again. It's when the Bible talks about being brought from death to life, it's saying that you're going to have hope in the future and you have hope of being alive with Christ in heaven. Now, where does this all come from? And it says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's what we place our faith in. That's the reason that we're born again. It says it's by his mercy, so he brings us this gift, but it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's where we we trust in that. We believe that. And I like how he brings out it's the resurrection of the dead that, that he points to first. He says that that's the important part that we need to look at and understand that it's not just that he died for our sins, but it's that he rose again, conquering death. And the verse that that makes me think of, you probably guys, you all have probably heard it before. It's in 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve. It's talking about the importance of the resurrection and how if we didn't have it, everything would be worthless. So I'm just going to read a few verses and just listen for that. It says, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We have even been found to misrepresent God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people to be most pitied. So he's just bringing out that, all right, Christ has conquered death. Because Christ conquered death, we conquered death. And that's what I want you guys to think about when it says born again, you're born again spiritually. Christ conquered death, you conquered death because you place your faith in him. And because he can conquer death, you can conquer death. He can conquer death, you can conquer death. All right. So that's what he has done. That's what he has accomplished in our lives. That's like my first main point. I just want you guys to think about that. That's where our hope comes from. That's the foundation of our hope. It's faith in Christ. It's seeing what he has done. It's seeing that he's come to us in mercy. And then he says it's into a living hope. Now, when I think of living hope, I think about my niece. I have a sister. She lives in Seattle. I haven't seen this baby yet, but my sister had a baby a month ago, and her name is Ella Faith. She was born around October 12th. I still feel bad that I don't remember her birthday. But, um, I mean, it's only been a month, so I can work on that. Um, She'll probably listen to this and then she'll just be like, Andy. Uh, but um, that'll be all right. But anyways, it was like a month and a half ago and this baby has grown a lot. It's, I always say it for babies, but um, anyways. And some people don't like that. I feel like they're a blob at that stage. But um, 
<laughs> um, but anyways, basically, she's, gr- she's grown a lot. This baby has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. I think she's more than doubled in weight, just like in the last month and a half. So it's crazy to me to think that she's growing that fast, but why does that happen? It's because she's not dead, but she's alive. And that's, that's what our hope is supposed to be like. So Christ has done all these things for us, and He's brought us to life and he's given us this hope that's not something that's stagnant, but it's something that's going to grow as we begin to know Christ. And that's why we read the word because it's full of his truth. And we want to dive into that and we want to understand who Christ is and the promises that he's given us. And we want to understand him better and the inheritance that he's bringing us. And that brings me to the next part. It's the inheritance. He's saying it's a living hope and the objects of that living hope is the inheritance that's been promised to us. So... Let me flip back over to 1 Peter. It says in verse 4, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So I feel like I'm just going to read from the dictionary a lot tonight, but I feel like we just need to look at each one of these words because they're just jam-packed full of worth, I guess. Um, So we look at inheritance, and I think a lot of us don't understand that word, especially when we connect it with hope. Because I'm not going to go to my mom and I'm not going to approach her and say, I look forward to the day that you die because you're going to give me things. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that inheritance. So could you tell me about it so I can have joy in this inheritance? Like we don't, we don't approach it that way. And he's saying that the object of this living hope that we have is your inheritance. So I want you to like take that out of your mind and look at it as he's saying there's something reserved for you in heaven. He's not saying that God is going to die and then you're going to receive all that he has. He's saying that I am reserving something for you in heaven. He says at the end, it's kept for you in heaven. So, but, and then also he's not looking at this inheritance in really fine details. He's zooming out and he's just looking at the characteristics of the inheritance. And he wants you to see that it's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. And I think if there's three things that I want you to remember, it's that. I want you to walk away tonight remembering that it's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading because that's what he, he's saying. Look to the future. I'm going to give you something awesome that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And I think the best way to understand what those words mean is to look at how they fail us in life. So when I look at imperishable, it means uncorrupted, not liable to corruption or decay. Or I think about a spring break trip I took maybe like four years ago. I got out on the mountain. It was the first day. I was going down, hit a bump. My ski flipped underneath me. It dislocated my knee. There was a pop. It, it was terrible. It was the first, like, first or second run down the mountain, and I was just like, oh, man, I, I hope nothing happened. I got back up. I started going again, but then it, like, it popped out a joint again, and it was really bad. Uh, I'm going to stop talking about it popping out a joint for those of you that don't like that, but um, Basically, I, at first I thought maybe like I just dislocated it and nothing happened. So it took me a year before I, I got an MRI, like a full year. I would go play sports like racquetball that are terrible, and it would, it would pop out or something bad would happen, and I wouldn't be able to walk for like a day or two. And I put up with that for a really long time. So then I finally got an MRI, and I found out what, what had happened. And the doctor was just like, you're going to need surgery. This isn't going to heal itself. And that, that is what a perishable thing looks like. It looks like our bodies. Like right now when we're in college, we're at the top and we're all going downhill pretty soon if we're not already. Um, We're going to perish. Our bodies are going to die. But God has bodies for us in heaven that aren't going to perish. And we don't have to worry about sickness and breaking bones or ACLs or anything like that. We, We receive things that are imperishable 
And that's a good thing, especially since it's for all eternity, because you don't want something that's going to only last a little while if you have all eternity in heaven with God. Okay, and then moving on, the next one is undefiled. Um, that's, that makes me think of like poison or it's containing sin, something that's going to harm you. Um, and the story of my life that makes me think about this the most, I used to really like honey-baked hams, and my family would always get them around Thanksgiving time. And um, so one Christmas break, I went back home, and we still had this honey-baked ham left over. But it had been a while, and I, I don't know what I was thinking. And I was like, I'm going to eat some of this, and it's going to be awesome. So I made myself a sandwich. And then I was in the restroom for like four hours, and I got severely dehydrated to the point where like I had back spasms, and I couldn't sleep the entire night. And it was just the most miserable I've ever been from something that I thought I loved. And now I hate it because I spent four hours with it in a way I shouldn't have. And I <laughs> So that's what I think of when I think of defiled, because if, if it's defiled, it's something that you're like, oh yeah, it's going to be, it, it's, it might be good, but it's containing something that's going to tear you apart. And if that's not what God is giving us, who he's not trying to trick us and he's not going to put anything inside it to teach us a lesson. All the gifts that he's giving us in this inheritance are good. And it's also unfading. Um, it's never going to wither or grow dim. It's always useful. It always accomplishes its purposes, which is important if it's for eternity, because hopefully what he gives you is going to last you for all eternity. It's always going to be useful. And I think there are two things that we, as Americans, always invest our money in, that's, especially as students, is laptops and cars. And I think both of those things fade a lot. My freshman year, I got a, a laptop that I, I think I spent too much money on and said it had like a five-hour battery life, and it did when I first got it. But it quickly, like over the next six months, dropped to the point where it was only like 30 seconds of battery life. And it was literally only 30 seconds of battery life, so I would, I would unplug it, and I would like run across the room, and I'd be like, all right, now I'm at the kitchen table instead of the coffee table. And it, was, it was just wasn't useful, and it didn't accomplish the purpose that it had, and I just originally, or after a while, I just threw it away because I was just like, it just makes my laptop heavier, and it doesn't really do anything. But, so I got rid of it. And then that makes me think of also, we put lots of money into cars because they fade, because we know it's going to break down. We put money away so that we can fix it later. And I, I feel like I understand that better than some people because I have this old 1967 Mustang that in times of my life, it's been like an entire year in a garage where I hasn't moved. Um, and a lot of times we, we look to these things, we place hope in them, but we know that they're going to pass away. And we always know that we're probably going to get another car later on in life, or we know that we're going to get another laptop later on in life because we know that they're no longer going to fit their purpose because they're too slow like a laptop or they're just going to fall apart like a car. And I think we need to look at our inheritance and see that it is imperishable and it's undefiled and it's unfading. I mean, it's, it's all good. It's perfect. It's coming from a perfect God and he wants us to be able to place faith in that. Now we come to the last verse, which is verse five. And it says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. So we have this good, powerful God that, that secures our salvation better than anything. And I think that's what's important to remember because that's what keeps us from worrying about life, worrying about this inheritance, worrying about what's going to happen. We can look to God and know that he's promised us these things and he's going to be faithful to, to fulfill them. 
I just wanted to read you guys another verse that you probably know from Romans 8. If you were at the, the service this morning, Brian Fisher talked about it, and he scooted back a few verses, and it's kind of inspired me to scoot back a few. And it is verse 35 of chapter 8. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we were being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things in the present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's the kind of guarding that, that he's talking about here. He's talking about this God that loves us, this God that's come to us in mercy, this God that sent his son to die for us, that we can place faith in that and that we can have eternal life, that we can receive these blessings of inheritance. And he says that it's all through faith. And I, I just want you guys to think about that because what he's saying is, I'm going to protect you. I, if you believe in me and you're born again, I am going to bring about all of these things that, that Peter's talking about. He's, he's going to accomplish them all until salvation is revealed at the last time. It's not, it's not in question. We have security in our faith. We place faith in him and he protects us. He guards us. He takes care of us. Now, finally, we get to that last phrase where it's like salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And I just want, want you guys to see that when he's talking about salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, that's because he's looking at salvation in a broader aspect than just what some people would call justification or when you're born again. That's the first step of salvation. But salvation isn't completed until the end when we, when we go to heaven and he, we receive our glorified bodies. That is when salvation is completed. And it takes place when we're born again and then we live life with a living hope for God and we're sanctified and we, we live for God. And then the other one is glorification and that's the end of salvation when all of this inheritance is given to us and salvation is accomplished and it's finished and we spend time with God in his presence. So what do I want you guys to take away from this? Um, I, I want you guys to have hope. I want you guys to read God's word and, and see that he's good and that he's wise and that he's loving. And when you see those little phrases, I want them to jump out at you and I want you to pause and just think about that he's a good, loving God that has our best interest in mind and he wants us to love him. So if you do two things this week from this talk, I want you to read the end of Romans or the end of Jude because those are doxologies and they're jam-packed full of just God's glory. The writers step back and they're like, all right, let's talk about how glorious God is. That's what doxology means. Doxa in, in Greek means glory, and it's like a study of God's glory. That's why it translates to doxology in English, because we're studying God's glory. So those always occur usually at the end of books. So look for those, read those, soak them in, and just think about who God is and what he's done for us. And remember the end of First Peter when he says, I'm giving you this grace and this truth of who God is because I want you guys to stand firm. And that's, that's why you read it, because you want to have hope in Christ and you want 
to look at him in love and that love is going to carry you through any suffering or tribulation. Take time this week to read verse six of Peter. He talks about their suffering and trials and he says, in this you rejoice, although for a little while you're suffering in various trials. And he's saying, you're going to have hard times in life, but this, all this that he said in verses three through five is going to carry you through that. So read that, soak it in and realize that's gonna carry you through suffering. And then also just ask yourself what you're placing your hope in. Is it in something that is fading or defiled or perishing? Is, do you need to reevaluate something in your life that, that's just wrong? And, and realize that there's only two things in this world that are going to last forever, and that's God, and that includes the promises that he's made for us, and that, that's people. So invest in God and people. Tell them about the hope that you have because those are the two biggest things that we have. Those are the only things that are eternal that are in this world that won't be revamped or regenerated by God at the end. So when I thought about all, all this that Peter brings up, he just brings up the glory of God and the hope that we have in him. And it kind of just made me think of hymns. And hymns always, always talk about that. They bring up this problem that we have. And then in the end, they talk about the glories of God and what he's done for us. So I just wanted to read a hymn that you guys all know, um, just to close close out the night, and that's a mighty fortress is our God, and that's because God protects us. And I just really thought that tied into verse five, and I want you guys to think about the words and think about how it ends. It says, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek us to work us woe, his craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal." Did we in our own strength confide, our strivings would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath is his name, from age to age the same, and we must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not, for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. The word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Let me pray. Um, dear Lord, I just, uh, and I just thank you that, uh, that we do have hope in you, that we can just secure ourselves to you, that, um, that you're going to protect us until, until the end. Um, I, just, I just pray for anyone here that, that doesn't, doesn't understand that or hasn't been born again, that doesn't understand your truth. I just pray that they would seek you out, that, uh, that you would reveal yourself to them. I just pray for all these students here as they've got class to suffer through. Um, I just pray that they can just find hope in you and find time just to, to study your word as finals are approaching. And I just uh, pray that you just bless them as they just end the semester. And I just pray all these things in your name, Jesus' name, amen.